So today's message, I think, is really appropriate with what Paul had just kind of shared about, about having a rough day, about having a bad day, kind of talking about pivoting, talking about everything that is going on in the world. I actually had to very, very intentionally stop watching the news. And and, and it seems kind of crazy because you don't want to be blind to what is going on in the world because I think as followers of Jesus, it's very important to know what is going on in the world. But if we're not careful, it can become so, 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 so heavy on us that it actually causes us to not actually have an influence in the world anymore because we're so feeling so beaten up and depressed and anxious and worried and all of those things. So I've had to kind of restructure my week where I very, very intentionally minimize how much media I am consuming because it can just feel so incredibly heavy. And as we are dealing now again with war, and we're dealing with the rumors of war and all of those things, there's something in the Christian culture, because if you grew up in church, especially if you would have grown up in kind of an evangelical um, type of denomination of Christianity, since you were a little kid, you had been raised to watch for the signs, Because Jesus talks about this, right? Jesus says, watch for the signs of my return. And what are you going to see when Jesus is getting ready to return? You're going to see war and rumors of war and famine and disease and pestilence and all of these problems. You're going to see false prophets and false teachers and false miracles and all of this stuff. And Jesus says, in all of that ginormous mess, don't worry about it. But for some reason, what do we do? We worry about it. (laughs) And so that's the point of doing this sermon series of the book of Revelation. It's to help encourage the church, not to divide the church, not to freak the church out, but so that we can actually be reminded as the church that Jesus has won. Not that Jesus is going to win, Jesus has already won. And so today we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 6. This is going to be a lot of fun because I'm going to break down a lot of stereotypes today as we look at uh, Revelation chapter 6. Because this is the first thing that I want to uh, show and the the first thing I want to break down. And hopefully this will work. I know we're having technical problems, but hopefully you can see this picture here on the screen. And if it shows up, great. If it doesn't show up, I'll try to explain it. But uh, there it is. Awesome. There it is. Today we're talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Okay, this this is where our study in the book of Revelation starts to become light and fluffy. Okay, when you think the four horsemen of the apocalypse, is this not the image that comes to mind? Right, because this is Hollywood at its best. <laughs> like, and I've shared this before. I love fantasy. I love science fiction. I love a great Antichrist movie. I think those movies are awesome and fun. I, I'm a little squeamish now as I've gotten a little older. I kind of there's a level of violence after PG-13. I get all ippity about it, so I, I try to watch what I watch. But uh, this type of visual and imagery is so pervasive in the church so that when we read Revelations chapter 6, this is the image that comes to mind. 
This is the image that's going to come to mind as we read this. But I want to show you how Revelation chapter 26, it's not about this. It's actually about building you up. It's actually about encouraging you in your Christian faith. And it is a challenge for us as the church on how we deal with what John writes for us in Revelation chapter 6. So let me read here for you um, from this passage here in Revelation chapter 6. And I'm going to be talking about these seals and these horsemen. So let me read here. I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to read a big chunk of this. I'm going to read from verse one to fourteen. So let me just read this here today. So this is John. Okay, and remember just to kind of set it up that John has is is receiving a vision. He's receiving a prophetic vision from Jesus. He's written to the churches that exist in his area in his time, and now this vision continues that John, kind of in this vision of the throne room of heaven. He says, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Now, the seven seals that, if you remember, that there's someone sitting on the throne in heaven. It's God the Father, and in his right hand is a scroll. And the scroll is completely written on both sides of it. And we saw last week how scrolls tend to represent knowledge and wisdom and morality. So what we see in the right hand of God is God's complete and perfect knowledge and wisdom and morality written on this scroll. And there's seven seals on it. And seven, whenever seven comes up, it's about perfection. It's about completeness. So this is God's complete, perfect morality and knowledge and wisdom in the world. And no one is able to access God's complete and perfect knowledge and wisdom and morality, except for the lamb. And the lamb begins to open God's knowledge and wisdom and morality. So this is so this. So it talks about these seven seals. So then it says and continues to verse, verse one. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. And when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice coming from the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. And when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. And its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And they were given power over, the four, uh, over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by wild beasts of the earth. And then, and when he opened the fifth seal, I saw an altar under, I saw, I saw, sorry, I saw under the altar of souls those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer 
until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. And I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun turned black like sackcloth made out of goat hair, and the moon turned to blood red, and the stars fell from the fell to the earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. You see, this is where the book of Revelation starts to get really hard. You see, and this is honestly, I think this is where a lot of churches and a lot of pastors, myself included, where we go, yeah, I don't want to talk about this. See, Revelation 1 to 5, great to talk about. You're talking about, there's some encouragement on how to spur the church on and what the church should be doing. In Revelation 4 and 5, you get this picture of heaven, and you see the Lion of Judah, you see the Lamb who was slain, and you can really raise up who Jesus is and glorify the resurrected Jesus. It's really great to preach. Revelation 21 is great to preach as well. I preach it at every single funeral, every funeral. I preach about the new heaven and the new earth and the coming Jerusalem, where there will be no more death, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more death. I will preach. Actually, we should probably preach Revelation 21 every Sunday (laughs) so that it actually changes your life because at your death, it's a little too late (laughs) to live Revelation 21. So we love those. But once you start getting into Revelation 6 to 19, it's like, oh, my goodness, what is going on here? What is happening here? It gets really, really, really messy. So I want us to kind of go through it in a way to help us start to get maybe a little bit of a better understanding of what is actually happening here in this vision so that it can not just fill our heads. Because if studying Revelation does only one thing of filling your head, it's not accomplishing John's purpose of it. John didn't write this to fill your head. John wrote this because, one, Jesus told him to, but, two, so that it would change your life. That it would change your life in the situation that you find yourself in. He wrote this to the persecuted church, the church that was being executed for their faith. And he wrote it to encourage them in their hardship. So in whatever hardship we are facing in the world today, this is a letter of encouragement to change how we live. So the first thing to help us grasp where Revelation 6 is coming from, we have to ask ourselves the question, and we've talked about this a lot already in this series, is this about the future or the present? Is this about the future or the present? So if you remember way back in week one, when we started this series off, we saw how there's a verse that the words of Jesus in chapter one, verse 19, where Jesus says this to John. He says, write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. Like Jesus is flat out setting up revelation for its readers that there is stuff that Jesus is talking about that is for now. And there is some stuff that is for later. The challenge that you and I have is figuring out which one is which. Which one is for now? Which one is for later? We, try to, we wrestle with this. And 
there's all these different theological positions we take when we read this. Some people will read Revelation and think all of it is the past. 100% of it has already happened. And a lot of people believe that. A number, another group of Christians believe that all of it is happening right now. It's 100% in the present. And other Christians believe it is 100% in the future. And so people ask me all the time, Pastor Kevin, which one is it? Is it all in the past, all in the present, or all in the future? And my honest answer is, I don't know. I think it's all three. I think it's all three because, again, this is prophetic language that John is using. Like, And we talked about this last week, how if you start by reading uh, Revelation chapter 4, when kind of someone says to John, come up here. And a lot of Christians take this come up here as language of a rapture. That the Christians are going to come up here. This idea that when God's judgment comes on the world, the Christians are going to not be a part of that judgment because there is this come up here that happens before the judgment. And we saw that this isn't actually rapture language. This is prophet language. Whenever God gives vision to his prophets, we see it in Ezekiel as an example, he uses the language of come up here. Before he gives the vision, he uses that I was in the spirit. I received a vision from the spirit. There's this coming up. So it doesn't mean an actual coming up. It's just this idea of coming into God's presence by the power of the spirit to receive vision. So if that is what's going on with John as well, there isn't a coming up before the horseman. In other words, in my belief, the Christians are not avoiding the horsemen. They're there among the church, right? So this is kind of what we have to kind of figure out, right? What is kind of going on here? Is this purely the past, the present, the future? And again, how we interpret this will really dictate where we land when it comes to Revelation chapter 6. So that's the first thing we have to kind of ponder. Is this future? Is this present? Is, you know, which one is it? Is it past? I kind of go, it's a little bit of a mix of all of them. But there, one thing is, and, and what I want to look at a little bit more closely here, is this call to come? So there's a call to John to come. John to come up here, and we saw that that's prophetic language. But then we have these four creatures calling out to the horsemen to come. And that can be very, very, very challenging to interpret. Because if you just read it exactly as it's written, right? Because isn't that how we tend to read? <laughs> we read a book, we read a letter, this is what it says, this is, must be what it means. The challenge in Revelation is it's not that simple because it's not just a letter. It's not just a book. It's apocrypha. It's, it's this apocalyptic style of writing, which is the Jewish people were known for and other people in that region were known for. There's vision. There's interpretation that has to happen in this. And so when this angel, it's not these angels, but these heavenly creatures say, come, there's a challenge for me personally to go, heavenly angels, heavenly creatures are calling and begging 
judgment to come onto the earth. If you read it the way it's written, it's written, it would appear to be written, come and bring death, come and bring famine, come and bring judgment, come and bring calamity. And there's why we get this picture of these four horsemen that are mean looking and nasty looking and they're coming with their weapons and their swords and their horses and they're just smiting the world. But there's this heavenly call for them to come. Is that what's going on? That heavenly creatures that and we see what the role of these heavenly creatures are in Revelation 4 and 5 is that their role is to bring worship and glory and honor and praise to God. That's what they do. So why are they calling horsemen to come onto the world? Is that what's happening? I think we can actually make a case that that's actually not happening. And this is where we kind of start breaking down, but I thought this is what it's always meant. This is why we have to kind of study the letter as a whole. Right? Again, we saw in Revelation chapter 1 when it says right at the very beginning, right, the very first verse in chapter 1 verse 1 where it says um, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And again, that's a challenge to interpret too. Some English translations say the revelation from Jesus Christ. And if you translate it from, well, it means there's a message from Jesus. But if it's of what is being revealed, revelation means an unveiling. It means a, a revealing. We can actually make an argument that what is being revealed is Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's the unveiling of Jesus. It's showing who Jesus is to the church to encourage and build up the church. So if it's Jesus that's being revealed, again, as we study this a little bit more, we see that in the book of Revelation, the word come happens a lot. It's repeated again and again and again. We see it in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, look, he is coming. And who, what is that verse about? It's about Jesus. He's coming. In chapter 22, verse 7, it says, look, I am coming. And those are the words of Jesus. In Revelation 22, verse 12, it says, look, I am coming quickly. Again, the words of Jesus. And in 22, verse 20, it says, yes, I am coming. Again, the words of Jesus. Apart from the come up here to John, every other reference to come up here, come, it's in reference to Jesus. And if you study Revelation that way, suddenly what these heavenly creatures are doing is they're seeing God's plan being opened. They're seeing God's knowledge being opened. They're seeing God's morality being opened on a sinful, fallen, broken, lost world. And these heavenly beings are crying out, come, Jesus, into this. Come, Jesus, and deal with the world and the pain and the sorrow and the suffering. See how suddenly that just that slight little pivot there turns this chapter of Revelation from something that we should be afraid of, that there are heavenly creatures calling out for things to come to smite us, 
But actually know that these things that are praising and bringing glory to God are actually pray, crying out on our behalf to see Jesus' salvation and power to come into the world. It tweaks how we read this big time, right? So that's the first, that's the first two things, past or present, how we deal with the word come. And then now let's just look and unpack a little bit these horsemen. What are these horsemen? We see four of them coming. And again, the description of them, Jesus gives a description here. John writes a description about them, what he sees. He sees the white horse, right? Some interpreters have interpreted this to be, well, Jesus, because on another passage talks about Jesus riding a white horse. So this must be Jesus as well. But when you kind of read what this horse is doing, He's bringing conflict. He's bringing kind of, you know, problems into the world. This is probably not Jesus, right? It's probably a little bit more like an anti-Jesus. He's kind of doing something that Jesus doesn't want to do. Like, yes, the message of Jesus is divisive in the sinful fallen world that we live in, but Jesus' ultimate desire is that there would be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more death, that none would perish, that everyone would come to know him, and that Jesus has ultimately come to bring peace with God and peace among humanity. He's an ambassador of peace, ultimately. So is his goal to bring this conflict? Probably not. But what we see from this rider on this white horse, there's this idea that it's um, the power of evil attempting to imitate Jesus. We see evil masquerading as light. We see conquering, kind of hiding as peace. When you think of world history, how often some of the most atrocious things in world history there's been this language, oh, no, we're, we're trying to bring peace. We're trying to make the world a better place. Look at the conflict in the world right now and some of the messaging of the attackers. It's like, you honestly believe you're doing something good? Maybe they do in some weird, twisted, unknown, evil way. Right? This is just how the world seems to work around us, is that in this goal of doing good, we cause harm and conquest and destruction. It's twisted. We see the second rider on a red horse, and whenever red is brought up in kind of you know, a prophetic writing or a lot of other writings in the Bible, red is a symbol for blood. Right? And so as evil in the world is seeking to conquer, right, it brings about civil unrest, war, violence, blood. The third rider, the black horse, and this is the one where it's a little bit weird. It's kind of hard to figure out what are they talking about. Like, I mean, they're talking about wheat, and they're talking about barley, and they're talking about oil, and they're talking about wine, and they're talking about day's wages and how much all of this costs. Well, what we're seeing in here, when you kind of unpack, and I'm not going to go over it just for the sake of time, but kind of how much this stuff is actually worth. You see what happens in conquest. You see what happens when there's lots of death and conquest and evil in the world. Suddenly the world starts to become incredibly unjust. And what's happening here is they're charging way more for food than what anyone can actually afford. Is that there's this injustice 
that starts to fill the world. And the rich are greedy and taking from the poor more and more and more. And the poor are suffering under this more and more. And then we get the final, the four horse, the fourth horse, the pale horse, death, the grave. Death is in the world. See, and again, when we read Revelation chapter 26 as this is, this is future, right? That there's going to be a come, there's going to be a rapture, and then the horsemen. The problem with that interpretation is based on this description that we read of these horsemen. I think all of us can easily turn on the news and realize they're already here. The horsemen have already come. And you and I, church, are not immune to them. Conquest and evil and injustice and death are a regular part of the world that we live in. And I know you're looking at me all like, oh, my goodness, Kevin, you're normally funnier than this, and you're normally so much more uplifting than this, and when are you going to crack a stupid Star Wars joke? Please get me out of this. It's coming, okay? But it can feel so heavy when you think it's about judgment, when you think it's about God hates me. God wants to punish people. God wants to punish the world and all of these things. But if you remember that these heavenly beings are seeing these four horsemen at work, and whether they're physical, actual horsemen, or actually it's just a spiritual concept, which one is it? I don't know. Maybe a little bit of both. We'll figure it out one day when we're all in heaven partying together. Okay, But this is happening right now, and so we have to be reminded that there are heavenly beings that are crying out, Jesus, come into this. Jesus, come into the conquest in the world. Jesus, come into the strife in the world. Jesus, come into the injustice in the world. Jesus, come into where there is death and sorrow and pain. And who, where does Jesus work today? Through you. You bring Jesus into places of conquest and disruption, and death, and sorrow, and pain. That's the job. See, that's the role of the church. As all of this stuff is happening in the world right now, this isn't something to be afraid of. This is something to realize this is the call. This is why we do what we do. This is why we want to see you grow in your faith. This is why we want to see you feel really close to God and be empowered by the Holy Spirit in your life to deal with sin in your own life. This is why we work and do all these programs. Why? Because this is where we're living. And Jesus wants you out in it to bring Jesus into that world, being the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, I quote this guy's book a lot because it's fastly becoming one of my favorite books on the on the book of Revelation, where in this, his book, Discipleship on the Edge, um, Gerald Daunts, uh, Johnson describes the horsemen in our world like this. This is a direct quote from his book. He says, Seals 1 says, I got to put my glasses on. I'm trying to be young here. Okay, there we go. Seal 1 says, if we do not go the way of the lamb, there will be greater and greater conflict and the drive to conflict. 
right? If we are not living the way of the lamb, living the way Jesus called the church to live, there will be greater and greater conquest in the world. Seal 2 says, if we do not go the way of the lamb, there will be greater and greater violence. Seal 3 says, if we do not go the way of the lamb, there will be greater and greater injustice and hunger. And Seal 4 says, if we do not go the way of the lamb, there will be greater and greater sickness and death. And John's words to the church is, church, you are in this right now. You're in the middle of it. You're in the thick of it. So you can either kind of take a posture of victim and defeat and, oh, woe is me, or we can rise up through the power of the Holy Spirit in the church and bring life all around us to bring peace, to bring justice, to bring hope, to bring healing. The role of the church was never to bring condemnation and judgment into the world. I mean, Jesus himself says this in John chapter 3, is that I didn't come into the world to condemn it. Because in our sin, we were already condemned. Instead, I've come to save it. And the church, we continue, you and I, we continue that mission of bringing the hope of Jesus into this type of world that we live in. Right, And so um, that's kind of the fourth thing that we see here in, in this Revelation chapter 6. What we see is we get this glimpse of the suffering church. When we read about that, we see this altar in heaven and we see these followers of Jesus who have died for their faith. We see them as like, you know, and a lot of times we go, well, they're the Christian martyrs. You know, the Christians who have died for their faith. And again, it could be that. It could also be the Christians who have just died in their faith. doesn't mean necessarily dying because of your faith, but it could also be dying just in your faith. Those who have died before the return of Jesus, setting up his eternal kingdom. And we read the prayers of this church. How long? When are you coming to deal with this, Jesus? When are you going to put the world right? We sacrificed everything for your message, and for your way. How much longer, Lord? How much longer? So we actually see the glimpse, the picture of a suffering church in the victory of Jesus. And so the big idea that I want to encourage you to write this down, talk about this in your life group this week, is that this is the big idea, is that the church calls Jesus to come into the pain of the world. See, we as the church, like we have an opportunity to see what is going on in the world. And just like these heavenly creatures, we can cry out, come. <laughs> come, Jesus, into this situation. You know, this war that's going on, Russia and the Ukraine, come, Jesus, and deal with that. Big things, little things. The struggle that I'm having in my marriage, come, Jesus, into this. The problem that I'm having in a relationship with someone come jesus and deal with this that is the heart cry we cry out just like we see this cry here we cry out for jesus to come and so just two questions that i just want to leave us with because this is how i've been trying to challenge my own thinking so again if this is not about the church avoiding suffering. And I think that's one of the most dangerous, in my opinion, one of the most dangerous theologies out there right now is that 
the point of following Jesus and the point of being a Christian is so that everything in your life would be perfect. There is strong teaching on that. And we see this around the world. And I, and I talk to missionaries in like Africa and Asia, and some of the biggest, largest, fastest growing churches are the churches that are promoting a prosperity, that God wants you to be rich, that God wants to deal with all of your problems, and God wants you to be completely healthy and vibrant, and everything in your life is going to be perfect. Just give 10% of your money to this church and God will bless you and multiply it and you sow your, your money into this and more money will come back your way. That's actually speaking to the flesh. Because don't all of us want blessing? I mean, show of hands. Who would like to have more money? Every hand goes up. I'd like to have more money. Who would like to be healthy? I'd like to be healthy. Totally. I've been working my butt off for two years to be healthy. I had Chinese food last night. It was the first time I ate gluten in 63 days because I'm doing this experiment, and I was so sick last night. It was like, oh, it's like, but I was so worth it because <laughs> it was so good. Just the sweet and sour sauce just dripping down my goatee. I was going to leave it there so I could lick some later on. Okay, we all want this. But what if the call of the way of the lamb, of the following, the followers of Jesus is actually, am I actually willing to sacrifice? I mean, Jesus sacrificed for me. Jesus died for me. And if God himself would die for me for my sin, is it really a big sacrifice to use my spiritual gifts to be a blessing to other people? Is it really a sacrifice to maybe not buy a cup of coffee and give that to a homeless person on the street? Right? There's this call. Maybe the call is to kind of think it's not about me. It's not about what I get, but rather it's what, what I give so that I can see Jesus come into more areas of the world. So I've been asking myself that. What are the parts of my life where I need to maybe sacrifice a little bit more in my life? And then the second question that I've been pondering as I've been going through this chapter, and this is a challenging one because this one just goes against everything in me, is am I actually willing to suffer for my faith? I mean, we have brothers and sisters around the world who understand this, of suffering for their faith. We as Western Christians, and I think just Westerners in general, we don't like suffering. Like, we don't. Like, everything we do is built around not suffering. Like, why are we having conversations about end of life, you know, and ending your life early? Because I don't want to be sick. I don't want to suffer through cancer, so end my life early. Because I want comfort. I want ease. That's where these conversations are coming from, that we've lost the doc. We've lost the theology of suffering, that we think life is all about ease and comfort and blessing and just enjoy everything. And we forget that God himself suffered. The creator of heaven and earth suffered out of love for you and for the world. And if he's willing to suffer, maybe, just maybe, I should be willing to suffer a little bit too. That is not all about me. It's not all about what I want. It's not all about what I get. It's not all about my blessings. Now God wants to bless. 
and God wants you to do well. Absolutely. But when we shift that mindset that we actually look at the way Jesus lived, that it changes our perspective on how we respond to this world that is suffering. Maybe we sacrifice, maybe we suffer along with it so that we can see Jesus come into that world. Because the church, you and I, we call out to Jesus to come into the pain of the world. The horsemen are here already. <laughs> so what are you going to do about it? You gonna hide in your basement? <laughs> or do you want to be equipped by God to bring hope and love and peace and mercy into this world that desperately needs it as the world is dealing with conquest and evil and injustice and blood and death? Let's pray. Father God, I praise you this morning that Jesus is victorious. And I praise you that he was victorious over me, that he was victorious over us as the church, that in order to bring us into your family, that you were willing to die for us. And while we were enemies of you in our sin, you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die. And so maybe just with kind of all eyes closed and head bowed, maybe you're here today or maybe you're joining us online and you've never kind of known the fact that God loves you. And maybe for you, church has all been about keeping rules, keeping traditions. And if you don't keep the rules, if you don't keep the regulations, then maybe God is mad at you and God wants to send judgment on you. If that's the message that you have heard from the church, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that is the message you heard because that's actually not the message of God. Is God loves you so much. He loves you so much, exactly as you are right now, without keeping rules, without keeping traditions, without being religious. And he loves you so much that he would die for you because you have sin, just like I have sin, just like everyone in this room has sin. And sin has to be paid for. And the way it's paid for is not by our death, but it was by the death of Jesus. And you can just right where you are, online or in this room, just say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. And you can invite him into your life real simply just by praying, Father, send the Holy Spirit into my life. Come into me and make me new. I am dealing with conquest and injustice and pain and death in my life. And I want the victory of Jesus in those parts of my life. If you pray that way this morning for the first time, please let me know. And if you're here in person after the service, I want to celebrate with you. If you do that online, the little pop-up that shows up, please click that pop-up and let us know that you've prayed that way today. And for the rest of us as the church, we've got to ask ourselves, man, if the horsemen are already here, if there's already all of these things going on in the world, why are we doing what we're doing? Is it just so I can get more blessing or is it so that I can be a blessing? Is it just so that I can get what I want or so that I can let the Lord of heaven and earth use me to do what he wants in the world? So ask him this week. Talk about it in your life group this week and ask one another, how can we live this more and more where God has called us to be? And so, Father, as we continue to worship, just continue to speak to us as we come to you in spirit and in truth today. God, I ask that you would speak 
Your children are listening. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.